0: Only thing I'm plugging is Forgotten Seasons.
1: Welcome, everybody, to Forgotten Seasons, now a part of the Showtime Basketball family. I am Dylan Dreyfus, your host and the creator of Forgotten Seasons. Same drill as always, we're going to be bringing on NBA legends each week to relive one of their best seasons. Today, we got one of my favorite players ever, the man himself, Jamal Crawford, going to be taking us back to 2010, with the Atlanta Hawks. His first season as a true sixth man, he says it completely transformed his career. Be sure to check out Forgotten Seasons on Instagram and Showtime Basketball on all social platforms. We're going to be bringing you guys the fire five days a week with Forgotten Seasons, All the Smoke, KG Certified, and What's Burning. So definitely, definitely tap in if you have not already. Let's get into this one. Forgotten Seasons with Jamal Crawford on the 2010 Atlanta Hawks begins right now. Jamal Crawford, thank you for joining. Welcome
0: to the Showtime Basketball family, man. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get into this one for sure.
1: Yeah, 2010 Hawks, it's going to be a a good one. As always, one team, one season season. The beginning of an era for you, really. Um, this is your your first year as becoming a true sixth man. Right. you think of this team and just think of this period window in your life, what, what's the feelings and maybe the first thing that comes to mind?
0: I was going to a winning team. I was going to a team that uh, had been to the playoffs and I hadn't been. And I was at a point in my career, I think I was in year nine or 10. I was going into year mm-hmm, 10 there. And I hadn't been to the playoffs. And I, I started to get the label of being known as a good player on bad teams. And I'm like, no, nah, I've always won, you know, ever since I was a kid. From childhood to middle school to win the high school state championship to college, I didn't play long, but we had a winning record when I was playing. So uh, to check that label, I'm like, you know what? I know I'm going to go to the playoffs this year. I have a great feeling about it. Um, and also, it was the, the change in the course of my career of how I was going. because so I was pretty much a starter up until that point. And that was the first team that said, you're going to come off the bench. And I'm like, man, I, I know it's going to be a little bit more unusual for me, but it, it I've been to that point. I'm like, you know, it's all about winning. They've been to the playoffs. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And, and that kind of helped change the course of my career. No
1: doubt. And before we get into that, that 2010 season, I want to touch on those first nine years of your career. Uh, Mm -hmm. You mentioned no playoff appearances, you played for Chicago, New York, briefly Golden State, you played for 11 coaches in nine years. Uh, (laughs) And you you mentioned it, and I read about you like everybody from your life just just says that you're the ultimate competitor. What is what is the mental like when you're going through the first nine years of your career? You're never keeping the same coach from year to year. Uh, and right. maybe those labels are, are starting to be thrown on you. Like, what is that? What does that do to a player?
0: It can break a player. Or for me, in my case, I try to use it to make a player. I feel like if I can get comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Think about it like this. If you were playing high school basketball and you're a freshman, you're really good. You have this coach who you, says you're you going to play a lot. You play a lot. You have success. Mm. Your sophomore year, is a different coach that comes in. He's like, well, now I need you to be more of a setup guy. I need you to get guys the ball. Okay, I'll do that. I'll try to master that, try to buy into what's good for the team. Your junior year, another coach comes like, you know what? I want you to come off the bench. I want you to be a punch off the bench, right? And then after that, you're like, okay, I figured this part out. Now your senior year, the coach is like, well, we're going younger. We're not very good this season. So we need you to be a leader and mentor for the younger guys and just show them the right way to do things. And this is every single year. I've only had the same coach in my 20 years, back-to-back years, twice in, in two years, and in, in 20 year career. For your whole so career? I had, I, whole career. I had Isaiah Thomas more than one season, and I had Doc Rivers. Everything, and I've had 20 coaches. So it's just an adjustment. And that's and to be honest with you, I think that's what I'm most proud of.
1: No doubt. I mean, I, I know that you're top 20 in games played. I, I got to look at the stats and see if, if, do you know, like, have, have you played, has anybody played for more coaches than you? Cause I, I'd like, to, I'd
0: like to. That's look. a great question. I think, I think when I was at like 17, I think myself and Strickland were close, maybe I think 20, I may have it now. You have to look that up.
1: So getting back into things 2008, nine, you're in golden state briefly and then you get traded to Atlanta in the off season for speedy Claxton and AC law Uh, Hawks definitely got a good deal on that one but like you mentioned like the Hawks backcourt is set they have Mike Bibby and Joe Johnson as the one and two guard right Uh, you had started pretty much 70 percent of your games to this point Um, you were not labeled as a sixth man Uh, you you touched on it briefly but like how does that initial conversation go down who is it with when basically they tell you like we're going to need you to to come off the bench
0: so interesting point Uh, Rick Sun who was Kind of running the Hawks at the time uh, lives in Seattle as well, you know. So he came over my house after the trade went through, and he was like, um, "You know, we have a good team in place. We feel like you can be a third guard. That's how you kind of label to be the third guard. You can Mm -hmm. back up Mike, you can back up Joe, and you can be that punch off the bench that we need, you know." And and to be honest with you, to be very very honest, at that point, I don't think he believed I would go average eighteen points, be the second leading score on the team, right? So going back, he was like, you can be that punch, you can be that third guard for us, play big minutes, play meaningful minutes, and people really get a chance to see you in a different light on being on a part of a winning team. And I'm just like, I'm all for it. And I said it, and I meant it, and it felt kind of weird. I, when I knew I was going to be a six-man and going there, uh, going into, like, playing pickup. I'm in Seattle, right? So I'm, I'm usually one of the first players on the court. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to wait two or three games. You guys get going. Because I want to start to see the game when it started but i wasn't out there so that's kind of how i tricked myself into trying to at least prepare myself to get ready to be a six man and uh yeah that's how the first initial conversation when he came to my house in seattle and and we talked about it
1: i'm sure uh, a lot for you starts on the pickup court trying out moves yeah six men uh so you mentioned right you're going to a winning team the hawks are coming off back-to-back playoff appearances they got Mm -hmm. joe johnson josh smith Mm -hmm. Al Horford. When you got there and you were talking to reporters about your first experiences, you always commended like the togetherness of the team. Who was right. the who was the leader in that locker room?
0: Oh man. I would say Josh Smith was a like a, a more vocal leader, right? He was the one, let's go, we gotta go, we gotta pick it up. I would say Josh was the the, the loud leader. I would say Al and Marvin kind of and Bibby were kind of the the quiet leaders, mm-hmm. day-to-day stuff. If you need somebody to talk to, you need a pat on the back, you know, it's going to be all right. Always positive reinforcement. I think Joe led more by example. He didn't talk a lot, but he led more by example. He'll talk once you get him comfortable. Mm-hmm. But up until when I first went there, um, you saw his work ethic. Uh, you saw how he was always a pro's pro, kind of always doing his thing. And And they all led in different ways. But I think Josh was probably the more vocal of everybody. Shout out to Josh Smith, man. He yeah, was, shout uh, out to Josh Smith for sure. Uh, should have so, been, should have been All Star too. Crazy. He, doubt. He, yeah, he,
1: he. I think Bibby too. Him and Bibby are are two of the probably the oh, yeah. the, the best players that have never made an All Star game. Absolutely. Um, so, getting more into the roster, I'm going to sort of go down one by one, and I'd love if you could just tell like one, one phrase, word or story that that comes to mind when I, when I say the player, let's start out with Joe Johnson, uh, you know, the, the focal point of the offense on the team. What do you remember about
0: ISO Joe from this time? How good he was, how complete his game was. Like, obviously he was the focal point of offense, obviously he's averaging 20 plus points, but how unselfish he was, uh, how he had a workman like attitude. You would never know he was a star the way he carried himself. He was so low maintenance. Sometimes you didn't even know if he was in the room. You know what I mean? So, uh, Joe was definitely a star and probably one of the most underrated stars I've ever played with.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, it, it's tough with Joe because he was so consistent and he was so good. I almost think like if he would be able to pair up with another star like in in that time of his life they, they could have done a lot of damage but but he was just so consistent um moving on Josh Smith at this time like all around defensive menace last 20 years the only players that have averaged two and a half blocks and one and a half steals in a season are him Ben Wallace Karolanko, and Anthony Davis so I don't think we wow. realize like you know he was a special player and ahead of his time
0: he absolutely was uh multi-dimensional can do it all great passer underrated passer could really see the court um fiery no back down in him uh he was just he was a great player should have made an all-star at least I was there two years I thought he should have made an all-star both years I was there he was unbelievable part to the team unbelievable piece of the team is someone who didn't get the credit I felt like nationally that he deserved because he was a great all-around player no doubt no doubt uh Mike Bibby solid, super solid. Bibby always knew how to keep it light. Like, he was never too serious, even though he was a point guard. Mm. He's everything you could imagine uh, from a distance. When I watched him and I was like, man, he's solid, runs the pick and roll. He was the first one that I played with it through the pocket pass like that. It was so consistent. I kind of stole that from him. Seeing his one-two uh, dribble pull-up, seeing mm-hmm. how crafty he was, seeing how I never seen him flustered, never seen him rush, never seen him actually really upset like he was just always keeping the light and kept our team together
1: i mean he had been at some some massive yeah. games before remember like, right sacramento. sacramento
0: playing against the lakers yeah
1: should it should have went to the finals some some shit went down there but uh shout out to Bibby. i had him on the show like one of my first interviews like like you said real yeah. solid keeps the light uh i could see how, how that would be valuable just to have out of your point guard the next guy i want to talk about is actually the coach mike woodson uh, he gets fired after this season in Atlanta, but yeah. every year in his uh, six years with the team, the win total went up. They went back down after he got fired. What, what was what was playing under Woody like? I mean, you've got a wide variety of people to compare him to, like you were talking about. You got like
0: 20 coaches. So what, what was uh, playing under Mike Woodson like? Loved it. I absolutely loved it. I remember the first game I came off the bench, first official game. We're playing the Pacers. And I go one for two. We don't win the game, but I have three points. I take two shots the whole game. Mm-hmm. And so Joe is on me, you know, and he's like, man, you got to shoot more. I need you to score. I need you. But what's the Come in my office. And he brought mm-hmm. me in his office, right? And he's like, I need you to lead the league in scoring off the bench. He was like, just because you're coming off the bench doesn't mean you're not an important part of the team. I need you to go fill it up. And hearing Joe said it was great. Obviously, that's your best player. He's the one, you, you know, you're out there with, You love that confidence. But hearing your coach say it frees you mentally because he's the one controlling the playing time. You know what I mean? So he's the one saying, no, nah, go ahead. You got the green light. And when he did that, it empowered me. I averaged 18 the rest of the way uh that season. Made six men and had some all-star consideration. But it's because of Coach Woodson. He played to my strengths. He didn't, you know, say, you can't do this. I'm going to hold it against you. Similar to Doc Rivers. He was very, very, um, and he was a scorer. You know, so he understood you would go through a streak where you missed three, four, five shots in a row. He didn't hold that against you. And uh, I, I really enjoyed playing for him. He's one of my most underrated, because I talk about Doc, I talk about Isaiah. He's one of my most underrated coaches to ever play for because he he played to matchups. He figured it out, and he was a joy to play for. Funny story about him, I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever told. Mm-hmm. I walked past his office one night, <laughs> and Will was driving a Rolls Royce at the time. Like, he was doing stuff you didn't see coaches normally doing in the NBA. I walk past his office one night and I peek in, it's like eight people in there. And Cat Williams is standing up on a chair telling a story, and everybody's around like a campfire. Woods at his office is cracking up. I'm like, man, what coach has Cat Williams, a comedian in here telling this Kumbaya story, which is crazy? But yeah, I've never told that. But yeah, it was uh, I love playing for Woody. That's so
1: important, man. I don't think people realize like having a coach that you can maybe relate to and also that right. just, like you know, for a player like you, also a score, like you yeah. want to, you want to have confidence that if you miss three shots, the coach isn't going to be looking to the end of the bench. Right. 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 Uh, Cause um, you're probably going
0: to miss four or five. If you think that he is going to do that, if you miss. Right.
1: Exactly. So, right. you know, you mentioned like we got cat Williams, what was playing in Atlanta? Like it sort of gets wrapped yeah. like maybe not having the most passionate fan base. You've obviously played for a ton of teams.
0: What was your experience just being a player in Atlanta? I loved it. I loved it because um, the fans that they didn't, Hack it out. But when they did come, they were so supportive. Right. Mm-hmm. And they showed me personally a lot of love because they were already a good team. And, and Joe being the best player, he just got to it. He didn't mess around. He got to it. Bibby was solid. Marvin Wade was solid. Al was solid. Of course, Josh was I think the closest thing to kind of having like a highlight real player that they had at the time. And I brought a different wave of that as well. You know what I mean? So Josh is doing his stuff in the air, dunking, locking shots, like you said, being a defensive menace, I'm crossing over and, and shooting threes and not watching them go in and doing types of stuff like that that the fans really took to. So I enjoyed playing. They showed me a lot of love.
1: You guys had a ton of game winners that season. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. I know you You hit one against Phoenix. Uh, yeah. I think Josh had like two game-winning dunks.
0: Tip-tongue. Yeah, tip dunks. Yeah. yeah. And, so- and Joe hits some game winners, right? Always. Always. Right. You know? yeah. yeah. So you guys, you know, that,
1: that was an exciting team. Uh, it was. So to sort of zoom out a little bit and look at the scope of the East right now, I think that this is a really interesting season in the league, particularly in the East. Because if you remember, this is the year before LeBron goes to Miami. Uh so oh, it is. Yep. We've got we've got LeBron and Cleveland with Mo Williams and Jameson. We got the Magic who who got your guys' number with Dwight and Vince. <laughs> um, and we got the Celtics still kicking with you know their big three. If you can remember then like who did you feel like was the best team in the East that year because the Celtics ended up coming out um Orlando got your number and LeBron is there.
0: Yeah, I feel like the Celtics were. Um they just they had just won the championship, right? In 08. Yep. 08. Oh, yeah, then, yeah, in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they just won the championships they had it together then. So I feel like they were the best. My first year there if I'm not mistaken, I think they finished first. But when they sucked at All-Stars, they finished first, and we were, like, second or third. Maybe we were third behind uh, Boston, Orlando, and then us, I think. At the at the and end of the season? No, at the at All-Star break. Because I remember the Celtics got four All-Stars. Mm-hmm. They got Rondo, Ray, Paul, and, and KG. So I remember they were still really, really good, even though, you know, it was after the championship run. But, um, yeah, I feel like they were the best. I feel like Orlando was really good as well, for sure. Those two were the, were the top. We probably were probably right where we were supposed to be. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm and then just at the two guard position obviously we have d wade and kobe at the top there uh, but yeah. we also had guys like yourself brandon roy monte ellis ray allen vince um maybe aside from like kobe and d wade we know how tough they were like who are some of the guys that gave you trouble when you match up against them
0: um, monte was really good obviously brandon roy is really good you said those guys um Kevin Martin was still pretty good at the time, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, shout out to Kevin Martin. I love it. Yeah, you said shout that. Out I, Kevin think, Martin. <laughs> I think he was in uh, Houston at this time. Uh, was he yeah, in Houston? Yeah, yeah, he was in Houston. Okay. okay.
0: He got tra- he he got,
1: Sa- he, sorry, he got traded from Sacramento to Houston. To
0: this Houston. Season. This is when James Harden started coming up as well. Yep. yep like Mike, he was still young Okay, see, but he was good. Mm-hmm. Um, man, you got me put my thinking cap on. Ray Allen, obviously, was still really good. He made an all-star um and we had our guy joe joe was yeah. really really good at the time right so he had some good guards out there at that time
1: yeah the two guard position uh it, it's not the same as it it isn't like now it isn't the same as it was uh, i think there's guys right. coming up but like 2000s 2010s like it, it, was, just oh, it was crazy and it was it crazy just, you saw him every night um so then going into the playoffs you guys finish as the three seed in the east 53 wins the number two offense in the league First round, you get the Milwaukee Bucks led by their flashy, dynamic rookie point Brandon guard. Jennings. Brandon yeah. Jennings, Yes, yeah, sir. Mr. Tough Crowd. What do you remember about that series? Because uh, you guys are down 3-2 on the brink of being upset, and right on the other side is their rookie point guard really bringing it every night and almost willing his team to an upset.
0: Well, before even down 3-2, I remember winning we in the first two, so we're up 2-0. Yep. Uh, we lose the next two right and so game five we lose at home and joe fouled out and uh either yeah i believe he fouled out well i knew i was on the court kind of being the, the main kind of creator playmaker and i i felt so dejected because i felt like i could have controlled that that situation being up three two go on the road give ourselves a couple chances to do it and i didn't play well down the stretch and, and we didn't get good shots and i remember sitting in the locker room for a long time after game five, right? We're down 2-3. We got to go to Milwaukee where we hadn't won and the Hawks hadn't won a road playoff game forever. You can look that stat if I remember that clearly. Yeah, well. yeah. I'm like, damn. And I remember Scoop Jackson. He wrote an article because I was kind of up and down that series. And he said, if there, this is what Jamal Crawford was brought here for. Um, I'm going to find that and send that to you. He's like, this is, you know, this is the time. And it challenged me. And I remember game six, I scored 20, Four, twenty-three 23 or 24 but i let us still win and they thought milwaukee thought they were gonna win they had jerry stackhouse singing the anthem game six yeah, yeah. you had you had Bog in the all-white suit they're like it's over we're gonna end it here you got scott skiles on the other end who i played for we go to win and shock them they're shocked and i said oh, we're, i know we're winning game seven and i think i led game seven with 25 so scoop wrote an article that really resonated with me i was like this is what i was brought here for and those two games i played well we won both
1: yeah you had 24 game 6 22 in game seven but that's 22 true, I mean, game seven. I mean people love to talk about maybe the downfalls of the media but there are those you know great reporters like a scoop Jackson who maybe can light a fire um that that's, yeah, really, yeah. Cool. that's really cool to hear um so you guys sneak by in seven you avoid the upset and then you got a magic <laughs> team <laughs> it was rolling rolling uh yes. they had just swept the Bobcats they took three out of four against you in the regular season you played Orlando eight times, including the playoffs and lost by double digits seven of those times. I mean, you got Dwight, Vince, Jameer, our guy, Matt Barnes. Uh, what do you remember from going up against that team and just like, how did
0: you guys have no chance? If I'm gonna be honest, I low-key knew it was over before he started. Wow. Like getting out of Milwaukee was like, ooh, we did that. Mm. Dwight and Orlando at the time were juggernaut, they were, they were uh Put together well, you had him in the middle. You had shooters all around him, so it was almost a pick your poison type thing. Do we allow Dwight to play straight up and nobody can stop him? Or do we double-team him every single time? He knows where it's coming from and, and hope that their shooters have an off week, right? And, uh, we chose to double-team him that series, and their shooters did not have an off week, and they they beat us by average 20-plus points, which was like the highest first-round uh, margin per game. It was just ridiculous. but uh, I know we're not talking about the following season, but we did play them again the following season the playoffs. We did play them straight up. We did the opposite. We yep. did beat them. But, uh, yeah, they were a juggernaut in 2009-10. Uh, I felt like they had a legit shot to go to the finals and, and, and win it because I, I felt like they were just so well put together.
1: Yeah. Well, I had, I had Barnes on uh, a few months ago to talk about that season. And, and he always talks about it. He, he puts it on Van Gundy on Stan Van Gundy. He said, when they got to the Celtics series, they switched up their entire offense. But I definitely look at like those teams, the, the magic team this year and the year before when they had Turkoglu, Uh those are, Tur- type, Tur- Tur- nice. those are definitely yeah. two of the best teams that that, 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 that didn't get it done and didn't make and didn't win a championship. All right. So, they got your number it, it might have got a number they got it they got your number it might have might have been over before it started um and then the aftermath of that um like you said you guys that you have one more year in atlanta uh, another second round exit and then correct me if i'm wrong but atlanta didn't have any really cap space they had committed a no. ton of money to like joe johnson some of the other guys uh, and then you sign a one plus one in portland and end up declining the player option it's crazy. Like you had been in the league so many times, but, but you said like you'd signed so many one year deals in the previous years, like you owed it to your family to try and get like a a long-term deal. How did that whole free agency situation shake out? Obviously you end up in LA. Uh, I read that you were also talking to like the Pacers, the Celtics, the heat. Uh, What was that decision process like?
0: Um, For me, it was about fit at that time because the first year in Atlanta was a magical year, right? The year we're talking about the second year, I was upset going into the season because I knew that they didn't have cap space and I knew they weren't gonna do anything. But more importantly, I knew that the, the lockout was coming. Yep. And everybody was like, this dreadful lockout, it's gonna be like football contracts, it's gonna be crazy. You wanna have a deal in place before this happens. So when it's over with, your deal just continues on because the contract's gonna be totally different. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm putting pressure on Atlanta. Hey, maybe you should move me before this happens. They didn't do it, so I'm upset. So my numbers were down the second year, but my playoffs were actually better. Mm-hmm. It's just just, you go back and look, it was crazy. But my uh, my numbers are down. I'm not really into it. I'm like, why, why don't they just move me? If you want me this bad, just sign me. I don't want this, this lockout thing that's coming. So I get out of Atlanta. I go to Portland. I sign really, really late. I think like a week before the season starts, um, maybe less than that. We go to Portland. It's not really a great fit. Uh, I play a little bit more point guard than I thought I would. And it wasn't like a, a point guard like you see now where you can still go score and do your thing. It was like more of a traditional role uh, that he kind of looked for me and it didn't really fit the time. No disrespect yeah. to anybody. And then I was like, okay. So people are looking at the end of my Atlanta season, which was a down year. Now looking at Portland, it's another down year. I'm like, this next place has to be the perfect fit or else they're going to start looking like I'm on the B side of, of what I'm doing. I know I can still do it, right? So hmm. I went into that LA Clippers uh, season on a mission. I worked out even more. I was locked in even more. Um, I talked to Chris, Blake, and DJ, and Johnson, those guys, early about them wanting me. Uh, they were the first team to actually call in that free agency. Mm. They were looking at me and Ray Allen. and So Ray Allen had a meeting scheduled, I believe, oh, wow. on like a Saturday, right? And I, I got in there on like a Wednesday. And they're like, hey, well, if you commit, we'll cancel on the Ray Allen situation. So I committed, I think, the next day or maybe that that night. And then they cancel Ray Allen. Ray Allen goes to Miami after that. So, yeah, really? I have my You were talking to Miami, too, though, right? Yeah, I was talking to Miami, Indiana, the Clippers. So, um, were you talking to the Celtics? Yeah, a little bit. Celtics, too. Yeah, a little bit.
1: That's a crazy yeah. what if. Maybe you're, maybe you're the one that gets that pass from Bosch.
0: Right. So, maybe I'm in Miami. He's in L.A.
1: That's a crazy,
0: yeah. like, switcheroo. Yeah. That's a crazy, crazy. switcheroo.
1: um. Well,
0: like,
1: like I talked about at the beginning, like the reason that I was so excited to talk to you about this year is because it's like the complete beginning of an era for you. Uh, yes, I mean, totally. in, in, in like 10 years, you put together a resume that is probably the the best sixth man resume of all time. You and Lou Will are the only players to win it three times. Um, but it's crazy how, how events unfold, right? Like the first 10 years of your career, you're seeing labels of, is this a winning player? And then the situation flips and your the whole arc and storyline of your of your career changes um when, when you like put all that into perspective like what goes through your mind like realizing man like that one decision to to really embrace that sixth man role changes right. changes the next 10 years of my career it changes
0: not only it changes so many different things right and so there's layers to it it changed the course of my career it probably allowed me to play longer a hundred percent it Right. It, it it viewed me differently because now I'm not looking at as it, a scorer that's uh, not valuable to winning teams. Now I look at this piece, almost kind of how Manu was looked at with the Spurs, yep. like as far as being that punch. Right. And so now I'm looking at this, I can be a contributor, a high level contributor on a winning team. Now people in my community, I go to camps all the time. People are like, I didn't want to be a sixth man until I saw you. I'm like, that's crazy because that wasn't even like the scope when I'm looking at yeah. it. Right. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how I can. So I have value in being a good player on a good team um, and being confident enough in my skills that I can start or come off the bench, whatever. And so all these different layers, who knew that they would play out this way, that I'd be mentioned? Whether I'm the best or not, I don't know. I mean, I would never say that because I I have too much respect for people that came before me, like Kevin McHale, Della Strimps, right? Like Ricky Pierce, Microwave, like so many other people that did it before me. Um, But to be in the conversation, right the last 10 years is like unbelievable and it's it's that was not the go at all i mean that's probably the best like you said 10-year run besides getting a championship with it right like so it's crazy
1: it's almost like it, like i i really do think that you changed the whole stigma of a sixth man like maybe before that it was like maybe he's not good enough to come off the bench, right or to, or to start excuse me but now it's like you look at all these teams and they purposely don't start players so they can play in that second unit. Now you have like sixth man lines being dropped in rap songs. Like yeah. you really rock yeah. with like,
0: the it's, crazy. it's crazy. crazy. Yeah,
1: it's crazy. Um, so just like uh, a, a few quick hitter questions before we go. Um, I want to, I want to quickly ask you about Seattle, man. Wh- when yeah. do you think that that team is coming back? And, and if they do come back, uh, would you want a role? And if so, what type of role? I feel like you might want to play for them if it comes comes back. <laughs> <concern. laughs>
0: I think um, I think it's more realistic now that it comes back than ever before. Like ten years ago, we we're like, oh, in five years, in five years. We kept saying that, and kept hearing it. But getting the hockey team here, I think, was mm-hmm. instrumental. It's a setting the tone of how we move forward. Seeing the fan base, seeing the arena uh, change, see different things. I think we definitely get a to team back in the next five years, for sure. And I would love to be uh, in the front office, putting teams together. I don't think anybody's invested in the city, in the community. Uh, seeing players, knowing the NBA landscape, knowing how teams work, being in those locker rooms, seeing different organizations. Because not only different coaches, I got a chance to see how different organizations operate and how they move as well, and how they connect people and connect their community and connect everybody as one. So um, I would definitely love to be a higher up in, in that position if if was asked to.
1: That's dope. Yeah. I know you do so much for the community. You got the crossover program there that that gets live and it's just, it's criminal that there's no team in Seattle. Like I yeah. think of it, like you list the maybe five cities in the country that are true hotbeds for basketball. Like Seattle is a hundred percent in that conversation. Yourself, Dejounte Murray, Michael Porter, uh, Isaiah Thomas, like the list can go on. So Zach Levine,
0: Kevin Porter, Brandon yeah. Roy. it's so many, it's crazy.
1: Yeah. And, and I think like selfishly, I think if they did an expansion, like, can you imagine how crazy that would be in the media? Oh. What, 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 what players is this team going to keep this team isn't keeping this player? Like, I think right. that would just be, I think like w- they might need that. It'd be a frenzy. It would be a frenzy. Um, all right, JC. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, anything that, that you no want, doubt. anything you want to plug real quickly? I know you got uh, a ton of like charitable endeavors. Any Anything you want to plug?
0: Only thing I'm plugging is Forgotten Seasons. Uh, I was checking it out, like, just on IG and checking out all this. I'm like, damn, you know, like, the information that you go and how deep you dive, it it, it brings back uh, memories for, for players, for fans. It, it sheds a light on teams that definitely uh, should get mentioned a lot more, you know, especially in social media, the way things are now. Things happen fast. Everything's going. But Forgotten Seasons is really, really dope. So I was just excited to work with you on this. Uh, before I even knew exactly that it was you I'd be working with because I was a fan of Forgotten Seasons. So keep going.
1: That's what it's all about, man. I mean, like, I I truly appreciate that. And you mentioned so many guys in this interview, like Kevin Martin, Monte Ellis. Those guys are dope, and they deserve, you know, especially the younger generation, like, for sure, I I think it teaches people and, and so many people are just like talking these days on Twitter and arguing about basketball, but they don't even know, anything about the history so those words truly mean a lot and i appreciate
0: that man no doubt dylan keep going the garden season check it out y'all
1: all right we'll, we'll have to bring you back maybe sometime later uh Jam- for sure jamal will be a part of showtime basketball so definitely uh keep your eye out for for stuff involving him um be well man stay safe i appreciate you
0: you as well thanks dylan appreciate you